Thank you. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Doug Warner, and before I get going here, I want to introduce my better half. Um, Kathy is with us here this morning, and I probably should say she's my better two-thirds, maybe, maybe my better three-fourths. I'm not sure which it is, but she's the better part of me, and uh, happy to have her uh, with me this morning here. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, <clears throat> you can turn to Titus 3, 4 through 7. We'll be looking at that whole section this morning. Uh, if you are, uh, have your Bible on some sort of electronic media, I will not be upset if I see you looking down at that. I will assume you're listening to me and not uh, checking the scores this morning. So, uh, but I, I appreciate it. A little, little history on me. You, go, you folks don't know me. Um, I was raised in the Alliance Church in Kenwood Heights, New York. That's uh, a little uh, west of here, actually. I was saved at Delta Lake Camp uh, when I was 15 years old under the tally ministry. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember the tallies, the singing tallies. And they were there at uh, Delta Lake one week and (coughs) came to understand my need of a Savior and uh, accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at 15 years old and have been walking with him since. And it's been a, a tremendous journey. A tremendous opportunity and privilege to be able to to serve the Lord. Um, I was uh, uh, ordained and licensed in another church I, I went to, but have been a part of the Alliance uh, pulpit supply list for a number of years, and uh, am happy to uh, to get a chance to share with you this morning. So, if you have your Bibles open here, let me read for you here. We're going to read most of the chapter, uh, the third chapter here. It's fairly short. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures." passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. We're going to stop there. I've uh, I've entitled the message this morning, Ready, Set, Serve. And uh, we we have an opportunity to, uh, to to work along side God in his mission for us. And that is that he was not willing that any should perish, but all that come to repentance. So our job is a big one. And uh, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, we signed up for that work. We signed up for that mission. Now, some of us are ready for it and some of us aren't. 
And even though we're in the midst of that battle and that conflict, that mission, and we're going about um, winning the world, and in the alliance, you know, we started out, this, this denomination as it is now did not start out as a denomination, as you know. started out as a mission sending agency. We, we took that mission, that goal, that purpose of taking the gospel to the world seriously. And as a result, I believe God blessed this work. And we are now one of the largest denominations in the country, and we still are involved in in tremendous missions-sending work, and we're seeing people come to know the Lord because of being faithful to that. But we're in the uh, first part of 2020, and I wonder how your year is going so far. Does the glass containing the rest of the year look to be half full? Or half empty? Can you find your glass? Do you own a glass? Sometimes we, uh, we, we kind of struggle with um, the, the definition of how, what our personality is, you know, by, by looking at the glass, whether it's half full or half empty. And I'm not sure, for those of us who may not be able to find our glass, if that's an accurate uh, description. But, you know, some things have gone right so far for us. Some things have gone wrong. And we look at those things and we wonder, what do we need to get better at? Are there worthwhile goals to set? Because, you know, maybe like me, I had a list of goals, but I can't find the paper I wrote them on, you know? We all have our resolutions. Well, a priest and a pastor were standing on the side of the road holding up a sign that read, The end is near. Turn around now before it's too late. And a passing driver went by and yelled at him, You guys are nuts! And he speeds past him. And from around the curve, they hear screeching tires, then a big splash. And the priest turns to the pastor and says, Do you think we should just have put up a sign that says, Bridge out? (laughs) You know, the guy in the car read the sign but he didn't get the message. He read the sign. He thought they were nuts, but he didn't get the message. Well, eventually he got it. I was, uh, I was in the supermarket the other day, and Kathy had asked me to, to go pick up some things for her, and I, I had my, my, my phone out here, and I'm, I'm looking through the, the text that she sent, and I read this thing that says, short and uh, I'm going I'm, I'm just looking all over the grocery store now for short peas and uh, I'm up and down the aisle and finally in frustration I call her and I said Kathy what the heck are short peas and she goes uh, do you mean sharp cheese and, I, and yes I read the words but I didn't get the message They're, they were garbled you know and sometimes we look at God's word And we read the words, but we don't get the message. We haven't studied to show ourselves approved. You know, there is benefit in simply intaking God's word, getting that into our hearts and minds, and letting the Holy Spirit percolate that in our brains and and kind of give us um, insight into what God wants us to do. And sometimes it just sits there. 
Maybe our minds are focused on something else. Maybe it has become routine and route. And we, we simply read it because we're supposed to. You know, I think we do a lot of things in our Christian life because we're, we're supposed to. You know, I heard praise and worship this morning from a heart that I believe loves God. And in, in the right attitude and with the right heart attitude, the right mental uh, state that we are uh, trusting God to do great things and, and that he deserves our worship. But sometimes we get caught in the routine of being a believer, of being a Christian. We get complacent in our lives. Uh, we expect things of God because of who he is, and sometimes our prayers reflect that. And I think this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this concept of loving kindness a little bit. Because I think when we don't see God for who he is and what he has really done, sometimes we can fall into complacency. We can forget where we came from. This year, as I was kind of looking, we're still relatively new in the year, and as I've been looking to 2020 and kind of what may happen and things that have already gone and things that I, I see are setting up, I've, sometimes I feel like I'm at the edge of a cliff. And I see the rest of 2020 on the other side of that cliff, and it leaves me scratching my head wondering how I'm going to get across. What, what do I need to do? From my perspective, at the edge of the cliff looking across the steep chasm, I'm going, there's a sign that says bridge out. And I'm not sure how to build that bridge to get to the other side, to get to where God wants me to be. But I also remember an adage an old pastor used to say, it's not whether the rabbit can climb the tree, the rabbit must. I have to go forward. I am still fogging a mirror. God is not done with me yet. He has still got something for me to do, and I need to find out what that is to do, and I need to do it with everything that's in my hand. And then what I lack, God will provide to do what he wants me to do. Not necessarily what I want to do, but what he wants me to do. So that requires me to get into his word. How do I find out what God's will for me is? It's in his word, right? We have everything that God wants us to know right now in his word. We don't have to worry that God has not spoken to us or that he will not speak. He has spoken to us. And we have his written love letter to us, and that's exciting stuff this morning. But left to my own devices, as I stand at the precipice of this chasm, I'm going, I don't have the tools in my hand to get across. I need God to show up. I need to, for him to fulfill his promises to me, I, because I know that there are rough times ahead. I, I need direction. I need encouragement. I need purpose. I need accountability. Because it looks like I'm going to have to build this bridge, and I can't do it. So I'm stuck. 
I'm stuck here on, on this side. The bridge is out, but what God has for me is on the other side. How am I going to get there? So let me downshift a minute here. We'll come back to that thought. Um, there are certain words and phrases that when we hear them in our lives, whether they be in church or whether they be through uh, our relationships and contacts at work or friendships, that when we hear those words, we immediately associate them with the divine, with God, with his purpose. Um, one of those words that we talked about and we just uh, Paul talked about in his letter uh, to Titus here uh, is the word loving kindness. And I've been thinking a little bit about that lately. What does it really mean? You know, some words split it up and they say loving kindness, two words. Uh, the King James uh, kind of puts it all together in loving kindness. And, um, and I, honestly, I don't care what, what, what the word looks like. You know, nobody's going to get an extra window in their mansion because they got the word right, right? It's just a matter of how we see that word and what it means not only to us, that's, that's secondary, and we'll talk about that in a minute. What does it mean? Why did God put it here? Because it represents how much he loves us and how he acts toward us. Loving kindness is the only word that can describe what some writers have called God's condescension towards us. What does that mean? What does God's condescension mean? It means that God was up here in glory, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful God, and he lowered himself willingly to rescue us, to save us because of his grace and of his mercy. And those are concepts that I can get a hold of. I see God's love and his mercy in, in my life demonstrated every day. His loving kindness. Um, it's, it's a unique word, and you only see it a couple of times. And the, the word translated into the Hebrew is chesed. Chesed. And it means, Delix defines it by saying, the divine love condescending to his creatures, and more especially to sinners, to me. And it's found in his unmerited kindness to us. We don't deserve his kindness. The Bible says that we are darkness and that we deserve hell, but God, in his loving kindness, condescended to us and made a way for us to come to know him in a real, honest, true way through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So now I'm thinking that there's a way across the chasm. And even though I know Christ is my personal Savior, there are times when I figure I got this, God. I don't need you right now. I, I got this. But he reminds me as I look across the chasm, no, Doug, you don't. But I do. And if you'll trust me, if you'll believe what I said, if you will take to heart and understand my loving kindness for you, 
we can do great things together. Deuteronomy says it like this, 7-9 says, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and grace with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. That's Deuteronomy 7-9. My, uh, my son, I, I, have, I have four children, um, my, uh, my oldest is 27. My daughter just got married uh, back in October, and I understand through a joyous celebration that we're going to be grandparents pretty soon. So that's exciting. And uh, it's, it's just interesting that, uh, you know, how God works. But it, it, and then to go on with the story here, my, my, my son, Leah's brother, Evan, is going to be married next month, and I'm actually officiating the... The ceremony and, and part of what I am doing with them is kind of doing some premarital counseling. Kind of prepare them f- for what's ahead. And there's, there's good and there's some challenges ahead, right? For those of you who are married. How many, how many of you are married today? Okay, how many of you would like to be married one day? Okay, we'll get all the girls down here and the guys down here and we'll, we'll f- figure it out at the end here. All right. But I was trying to explain to them a little bit what a covenant is because marriage is not a contract, marriage is a covenant. And marriage reflects the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. Jesus calls us his bride, right? And that, that, that bride-ship means that he has covenanted it towards us. He has, it's not just one promise, it's a series of promises that only he can fulfill. And marriage is a covenant relationship. And it is going to be a series of promises that you are going to make to your husband or wife. A commitment that you can keep. God can't break his covenant, but oftentimes we break ours. And I was trying to go through that with him, and it's just reminded me again of how much God loves us. He covenanted with He can't break that covenant. And he made a way for us to become his bride through Jesus Christ. You know, as we go through life and as we uh, uh, go through the challenges of marriage or just life in, its, in itself, I mean, our goal is to be kind and loving and, and demonstrate those qualities of life to be Christ-like to other people, but we don't have to be that way, do we? There's nothing, there's, there's no gospel police you know, seeing when we're unkind or whatever, chances are, you know, nobody's going to come up and write you a ticket and, you know, you get a, a time out in heaven. That, that, that doesn't work that way, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit lives inside us and, and we trust him to guide us into all righteousness. And that means acting like Jesus Christ, right? We have this whole process called sanctification, right? So we start out here and we move towards Christ's likeness and at the end, and, and in fact, that, is, that actually brings up kind of an interesting thing. You know, we talk about the, the, the concept of, of being saved. You know, when we invite Jesus Christ into our heart and life, we believe the gospel message, his death, burial, and resurrection, and we say, I'm saved. But the reality is that we are being saved, right? We're not actually saved till we get to heaven, right? We have, we have made that commitment, and Christ said, if you do that, this is what's coming. But we've got life to live for as long as he gives us to work out our salvation, right? Not work for it, 
but work it out. That means that we are to demonstrate as much of that loving kindness as Christ showed us to our fellow man, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. How will the world know that we are believers? By the love that we show one another, right? That's, that's the test. It's not how we love them, it's how we love each other. Right? That's the test. So as we look at loving kindness and the way that God condescended toward us, here and all through Scripture, Christ, God, through the writing of the Holy Spirit, guiding the, the writers of the, of the Bible, demonstrate to us what this looks like and how we can live. An example of this. You know, as, as a dad of four kids, I didn't often realize my behavior was an example to them of what a dad should be like. And oftentimes I didn't do it right. And oftentimes, as Kathy and I were talking on the car coming up here, I see my bad behavior that I demonstrated for my kids in their behavior. But that's not how Christ wants us to be. He wants us to look at his word and to, to glean the truth of that and to see that demonstrated and then to be that example to the world. So that our example of love, of forgiveness, of faith, of hope, that example will be seen and people will be compelled to Jesus because of that. God shows us his goodness and loving kindness. While we were dead in trespasses and sin, Jesus died for us. I don't know of any better way he could have done that for us. It's a free gift for us, and so often we act as if we don't care. We act as if we had something to do with it. If only I was good enough. If I do this, if I give this, whatever, maybe I'll earn salvation. And God says it's a free gift. Nothing that we could do. Our righteousness is of filthy rags. But there are four things that I want to talk about this morning and kind of the crux of the message this morning. And I apologize, it's a low-tech message. You're not seeing any wonderful things on the screen. So, but I'm, I'm kind of a low-tech guy, so please forgive that. Um, but I want to talk about three things, and I, I'm going to be, as like old preachers do, I'm going to, I'm going to use some R words to, to show that. And, and there, there's going to be four things. If you want to take notes, that's great. If you don't, that's great. Um, but what God's loving kindness does is four things. Two, or one, it resuscitates us. Two, it regenerates us. Three, it restores us. And four, it rejuvenates us. So let's go to number one. God's loving kindness, his condescension towards us in realizing that we couldn't get to him, he had to come to us. It rejuvenates us. It, we were, what, dead in trespasses and sins. There was no way to, uh, for us to get 
to God. He came to us. So his loving kindness, his love re- resuscitates us. You know, we don't need resuscitation if we're already alive. In fact, if somebody tried to give you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation when you were already alive, they'd kill you. Or if they started beating on your chest and you're already alive, or somebody gave you the paddles when they thought you were dead and you're already alive, that'd kill you. But we were spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. And through God's loving kindness, he resuscitated us. He brought us to life. And he not only brought us to life, but he regenerated us. Because he said we were of our father, the devil. So we had to have a new birthright. And we did that by inviting Jesus Christ into our Lord and Savior. We were grafted in. We became a child of God. He regenerated our spirit to make it like his. The Bible says the old has passed away. All things have become new. And we're made new by the transforming power of Jesus Christ in us. Number three. His loving kindness restores us. If we recall back in Genesis when when Adam was running around the garden, he had a perfect relationship with God. And that was God's will. His will was not for us to fumble around and sin and struggle in relationship with him. His will for us was to be closely related to identify him to connect with him to commune with him to have a wonderful warm sweet fellowship and we blew it and because of his loving kindness he restored that with us and he continues to allow us to be restored in first john 1 9 it says what if we confess our sins He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what does that do? Does that save us again? Do we need to get saved again? No. What it does is restores that fellowship that is broken because of sin. We were separated by God from sin. But God created us to have close fellowship. And his loving kindness always seeks to restore a right relationship with him i love that phrase that says the joy of the lord is my what strength the joy of the lord doesn't talk about the happiness in fact we don't see a lot of the term happy in the bible we see a lot of the word joy that deep abiding joy that comes simply by knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, simply by having a relationship with God, simply by knowing that our final home is heaven and that we have a, uh, a, a, someone who advocates for us, that our prayers can be answered, that we can see God at work in our lives. The joy of the Lord is my strength. His loving kindness invigorates us. It energizes us. It repurposes and redirects us as the Holy Spirit moves in us and through us as we allow that to happen in our lives. You know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of Christians that I know who are not happy. 
And, and some of them aren't even joyful. But that's not what God intends. God, in, God has allowed us joy, deep abiding joy, regardless of the circumstances in our lives. That he has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to live above our circumstances. And that doesn't mean things don't hurt and things don't happen. My wife lost a son. I lost a wife. Many of you have experienced very difficult times in your life. They weren't happy. But at the same point, we didn't lose our joy if we knew Jesus Christ because we knew that God is sovereign. We know that he, he, has, he, he knew this was going to happen and he's prepared us through his Holy Spirit, to move in that direction. Whether it be just reading his scripture, reading like a Psalms 119, as we, as we read through the, the fact that God has all this, he's got my back, he, he understands what I'm going through. It might be from finding that special friend that you have at church. It may be from counseling, that uh, Christian counselors who are going to direct you to passages that will give you comfort and, and help restore you. But it's not about being happy. Happy is circumstantial. Happy is going to come and go. But that deep joy that we have through Christ, through his loving kindness, abides with us. Oftentimes we, we hear about people that are struggling with uh, addiction whether it be drug addiction or alcohol or whatever it is. And, and oftentimes, in the, in the process of trying to get them help, there's what's called an intervention, where there's folks that come around and, and they really, they just kind of pledge their loyalty and they show them love and they do all that kind of stuff, you know. And that's, that's kind of what God did for us in a divine intervention. He sent Jesus Christ down. He willingly died on the cross for our sin, was buried and rose again the third day. And that intervention sealed our eternal destination. We no longer had to worry about the horrors of hell, but we had the glory of heaven to look forward to. He saw us standing at the edge of the cliff with a sign that said bridge out. No way to get to him. And for those of us who don't know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, and I hope all of you do here today, he realized that we, we couldn't make the bridge. We couldn't build it. He had to. So he did. And that bridge looks like a cross, because it is. And that he accomplished the ability to move us from heaven to hell because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross, and if we would trust him, that he would regenerate us, he would resuscitate us, he would restore us, he would rejuvenate us through his loving kindness. You know, God built the bridge, but he asked us to work with him on it, to trust him, to do what he's called us to do to help him in his work here on earth. And I know as the Alliance, and as I see the reports and I hear from folks that are on the mission field uh, doing 
God's work, how he is working. And, and a lot of those folks struggle, suffer. They're not always happy, but every one that I've talked to is joyful, full of joy, full of hope because of what Jesus Christ has promised, what, what we know that he is giving us through loving kindness. We are to work not for our salvation, but because we're saved. And the Bible tells us to work for the night is coming. You know, we're, we're in this life. We're in these earth suits. But one day, and I think soon, Christ is coming back for us. And these earth suits are going to be changed to glorious. The Bible says we're going to be like him. I don't know what that looks like. I have... Uh, uh, Kathy and I have talked often about what heaven looks like, and uh, and I I finally have to stop because I you know I have a pretty good imagination, but I can't uh, can't imagine what heaven was going to be like. So I'm going to wait and be surprised. I'm not going to build anything up in my mind. I'm just going to wait and be surprised. But you know, God called us to work now, called us to see the fields ripe unto harvest called us to talk to our neighbors about Jesus Christ, called us to take bread to the starving people, the bread of life. And if we will do that, he will bless. You know, we have a responsibility in our faith. So regardless of where you are in your life as you're sitting here at the end of February looking out to the rest of the year in 2020, regardless of whether or not you see the glasses half full, half empty, or have to go find a glass somewhere. God is interested in doing a work in you that you can't even imagine right now. You may not see what it is right now, but I promise if you will study to show yourselves approved, workmen who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, if you will take the time and invest in your relationship with the Lord. Allow him to speak to you through his word. Allow him to speak to you through your, your small groups here at church, through your pastor, uh, through friends and relatives who love you, who know the Lord and, and who are walking with him. You will see God at work in your life. You will know where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do. You will see his loving kindness at work in you. And that will make all the difference between how you see the rest of the year. God is not mad at you this morning. You know, sometimes we, in the process here, we, we pray for things. We pray for specific things. You know, we, we know we should pray specifically, and, and sometimes those answers are no, and sometimes we feel like God is not answering us at all. I, I, and sometimes we feel like, well, you know, I got this burden here from God. Well, God gives good gifts. That's all he can give. He is a God of mercy, of grace. Sometimes he allows things in our lives that, that may not feel good at the time, but he is always using what happens in our lives to move us closer to him and in terms of God's gifts don't worry about it. you're never going to get coal in your stocking from God whatever he gives is a good gift we might not see it as good right now but I promise 
that it's a good gift. And we can trust that he is working for us. That his loving kindness was not just dumped on us once in Jesus Christ on the cross and he said, okay, that's it. No, it continues day and day in and day out that he shows us his love and his mercy and his grace, which is all encompassed in loving kindness. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and grace with them that love him and keep his commandments to what? To a thousand generations. Sometimes, and I've talked with, uh, with Kathy and you know, the folks at our church about this. You know, we, we have gotten to a point in some of our churches where we're trying to be so relevant that we lose the awesomeness of God. We're trying to not water down, but make folks feel like they can relate to it. You know, we don't want to offend. We go right to the end of it. But let me tell you something, folks. Understanding that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, being faced with that is offensive. There's no way to get around that. And if you can't or won't be offended by your sin... I don't know how you can come to Jesus Christ. If you don't understand you're a sinner and deserve hell, and that Jesus' blood shed on the cross as a remission or a forgiveness of of those sins, if you can't get that, you were guilty and he paid the price, that's a tough one. But I hope everyone here today has come to that decision that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you're on your way to hell, but because uh, Jesus sent someone or somebody into your life to tell you about the saving message of Jesus Christ, that you realized that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior. You invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be that Lord and Savior, and, and now you know him and are working for your salvation. You're involved. You're seeing God at work. Here's what I've learned. We'll close here. I don't know what God will do in any given situation. I don't know, and neither do you. But I do know that he is able to do more than I could ask or think. And so knowing that I don't know and that he does and is able to do whatever, I can confidently trust that he is going to work for my good. Because he told me in Romans he would. He's going to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? So we can have trust and faith and hope. And we can, we can look for God's loving kindness in our lives as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Lord, thank you that it's a hard truth sometimes. And Father, sometimes you've, you called us to things that are difficult and hard for us, but that you want to show yourself faithful and in our lives. And you want us to see you at work, to build that trust, to build that history with you, Father, that we're going to need, Lord, as the world continues to spin down. And it becomes maybe even increasingly 
more difficult to live a life of faith in front of people who just don't want to hear it and just don't care. And Lord, I thank you for the way that you have allowed us to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. And you've made it so simple, Father, to just believe your gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, for just a moment, I hope all of you here have come to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. But if you're here this morning and you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you that opportunity right now. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But if you're here this morning and, and you can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I don't deserve heaven. But Lord, I'm asking you right now to come into my life. Forgive my sins. Save me. I believe your gospel message, your death, burial, and resurrection. And as best I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me now. Thank you for saving me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again, Lord, for your word, for the truth of it, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, what you're doing right here in Saratoga Springs. Pray for the guys as they're coming back today. Give them journeys and mercies, Father. Pray that you would just seal in their hearts what they've learned from you this weekend. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.